our panelists will be talking about the following topics. So uh, what is the voice of the child report? Uh, when, before, or during court any time? Who prepares the voice of the child report? Uh, private versus the OCL, the how, uh, the weight, so the treatment by counsel, parents, and judges, screening, the child's right to counsel, and challenging the voice of the child reports, as well as some case law. So now it's my pleasure to introduce the hosts. Uh, so we have Jonathan Painter. Jonathan is a registered social worker and psychotherapist who works in the family court system. He completes a variety of assessments and youth court assessments. He specializes in cognitive behavioral therapy and couples counseling and holds certificates in collaborative family law, advanced family mediation, family arbitration, domestic violence screening, offender relapse prevention, and assessment of risk. So next we have Golan. Golan is associate, an associate family lawyer and certified mediator with over 25 years of legal experience. He was first called to the bar in Israel in 1996 and then called to the bar in Ontario in 2003. Golan has extensive experience in representing clients and negotiation agreements, as well as trial work. He also has experience in negotiations with the authorities to advance a client's interests and have represented clients at a variety of different levels of courts, including on appeals. And last but not least, Russell Alexander is the founder and senior partner of Russell Alexander Collaborative Family Lawyers. With over 20 years of experience, Russell uses his knowledge and expertise in collaborative family law with a client-focused approach by creating unique solutions for each of his clients. So now that you know a little bit more about our uh, panelists and what we have on the agenda for today, I'm going to pass things over to you, Russell, and uh, get this, this train rolling. Get the party started. Get the party uh, started. All right, let's start. Let's get going. Let's start off with poll because we love the polls. We're gonna have some polls throughout. Helps us understand our audience better. So our first poll, what is the reason for joining us today? So we're gonna give everybody just a moment to get your answers in. Um, but I'm gonna, I've got a question that was sent in in advance. So I'm gonna give this one to you, Golan. So if you can give us your feedback. Uh, what's the process? How's the process or an application made if? or the procedure if you want to appoint a lawyer for the child. We're going to talk about this in depth, but generally speaking, how do we get a lawyer to give us the voice of the child? Well, firstly, uh, thank you for having me here, Ras, and uh, thank you for the question. Be happy to answer that and um, give some idea of how this happens, how it unfolds, uh, whether it's in the court system or whether it's uh, outside of the court system. Um, it actually relates to the topic of when we actually act asking for a voice of the child and what it is. So perhaps uh, the idea is first to understand what is it? What are we trying to uh, to get with the report? Uh, okay. the I'm going to hold you right there. Just hold that thought. Let's see what our audience uh, response is. All right, 55% uh, law professional, 26% other field. 11% going through a separation and divorce, 3% here for a loved one and other put in the chat box. So heavily weighted on uh, the professional side. Sorry, let's get into the uh, first slide and this is gonna actually answer our question. So this is your slide, Just go ahead, Colin. Yeah, so uh, talking about what is it uh, generally, what we're trying to achieve here is uh, getting a the, ch the child's views and preferences as it, uh, it you know, affects his parenting time, 
uh, we try to achieve their, you know, see their perspective, uh, concerns, um, any consideration that uh, the parents should be taking into account, as well as the judges or other uh, professional who may be assisting the parties in forming uh, or formulating a parenting plan. Uh, there are things that sometimes we, we, we don't realize that we uh, coming to children, we're not even telling them that the parties are separated, but all of a sudden they are a, a you know, meet with a parenting plan that they did not have a chance to uh, give their input, especially when they're able to do so. So the voice of the child report meant to be a non-evaluative uh, report that is giving us that a background information about the child's views. And uh, it normally, if, like I said, it can assist the lawyers, it can assist the judges that can request the preparation from either um, the office of the children's lawyer. So when you see here, it says OCL, that, that's what we're referring to. And uh, or privately, it can be done privately, it can be done before, uh, before litigation even started, during a mediation process, during time that the, uh, the parents are considering their parenting plan and they wish to know more. Um, what we need to understand is that the, the voice of the child report is, it came out of a, the idea that children have rights. And those rights are, we, we can see them in the United Nations Convention on the Right of the Child. It's actually a, in, in Article 12 of the convention and that convention had been ratified in Canada. So we are relying on the uh, articles of the convention to um, enforce the idea that the children are entitled to their uh, input. And um, if and when a child is able to give his uh, input, they should be uh, a considered and approached Again, depends on the maturity level, depends on the age, depends on uh, other factors that uh, would assist ascertaining the views and preferences and not just um, because a child wants to say or have, a, or have something to say. Um, for that purpose, uh, the judicial system has to accommodate or at least consider, that would be a better word, consider the uh, a obtaining a voice of the child especially in uh, custody matters or well, parenting cases um, that are before the, uh, you know, before the judge or when parents have to uh, deal with it. So this is the, uh, the idea of what the voice of the child is and, and um, when normally we try to obtain the voice of the child report is basically can be, can be done in, at any, at any uh, part of the process post-separation or even before separation, depending on what, what the parents are trying to achieve, what they, are they using a, an alternative dispute resolution to, their, a, to the breakdown of the marriage and, and the separation, or whether they a, already started the, the court process and um, there's a more need for input and um, understanding of what is and what would be in the best interest of the children and sometimes it's better to get the understanding directly from the child once he's uh, been interviewed. Um, and then that information can be 
can become uh, available to the, the parties, the judge, the lawyers, etc. All right, let's do another poll here. Thank you so much for that, Golan. Um, poll number two, how often is the voice of the child obtained? In every dispute, only when the parents are asking for it, in every case when a judge orders it, or in uh, a case when the Office of the Children and Lawyers accepts the appointment or the parents retain a professional to conduct same. So give everybody a moment to um, get their answer in. I got a quick question for you, Jonathan. What about children with disability? Um, how do we address that when we're considering a voice of the child uh, input into a family court matter? Great question, uh, Russell. And the um, the person doing the voice of the child, whether it's a lawyer or a social worker, really has to assess the child's um, age and stage of development. And there are some disabilities that might uh, impact their, their development or um, their uh, intellectual ability. And so uh, one, of the, one of the questions that um, people doing Voice of the Child Report should ask themselves is how is this child able to provide their voice? Are they able to um, maturely understand the situation in their family or are they too young to do that? Um, so that's always a question that, that should be asked. Um, and, and answered in the report too, right, Jonathan? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, is it affecting uh, cognitive skills or if? It's yeah, yeah. For and, and for example, some um, some of my clients who are children um, uh, who have ADHD, for example, can't handle uh, a Zoom interview. Uh, they just get too distracted, and so you really have to have them in your office. Um, so you also want to design the process based on the needs of the child um, and so uh, and, and accommodate whatever disabilities they have. Yeah, got lots of questions coming in about uh, the age of the child. We're going to get to that in our program, but let's see what our poll results are. Um, so a clear majority in every case when it's ordered in the office of the children's lawyer accepts the appointment or orders that the parties retain. A professional in terms of how often it should be obtained. Um, and I guess their views can change, right? Their, their views at the beginning of the litigation might be different when it comes to trial time. So it might want to update the, uh, the report as well. All right, so let's take a look at when, before, during, or any time. Golan, when do we get these reports? I kind of alluded to it a little bit, but what, what have you been seeing? Right, so thank you for that. Uh... It just uh, a follow-up on the previous topic when we said, when do we normally use a, the voice of the child report? And like I said, um, it can be used at any point from the separation onwards, depending on what uh, route the parties have taken, whether it's an alternative dispute resolution that they need to formulate a parenting plan and they would like to know um, to, to obtain some views and preferences or, or what, what is the children's concern before they um, make that decision um, on how the parenting plan is gonna look like. Another a situation is like you, you mentioned, I mean, it can be any time during the litigation from the start and then a, a, a things come up during the uh, course of the litigation that the, a, the parties would like to obtain the views. One, one party may suggest that 
um, the, the child is concerned about going to one parent or, or the other way around. And, um, you know, maybe uh, there is issues with, with uh, exposure to relatives, to activities, to anything that, they, that might come up and, and is not very clear because at that point, you only hear it from the, from the parties. And then um, a judge may, may wanna have a clarification, wanna hear it directly from the children and they may want to uh, appoint um, a professional to assist in obtaining the report, the voice of the child report. Uh, so like I said, it could be done any, at any time of the process uh, all the way through the trial. And you know, you don't need to wait to go to court to get a voice of the child report. If you're in a collaborative process, you can agree to do it privately. Uh, oftentimes counsel will arrange for a private voice of the child report and that report will settle the case, right? Usually the parents will respect the child's wishes, whatever they are. I guess the advantage of doing it through the court system in the office of the children's lawyer is the government's gonna pay for the process. Uh, where privately you're gonna be doing, we're gonna talk about costs in a bit, but a few thousand dollars at least I would suspect. Thank you for that, Golan. Who prepares the voice of the child report? Jonathan, what can we expect? How does that look like? What and qualifications, what should we be considering? Yeah, so um, various professionals can um, complete these reports. Uh, and I would suggest that people look for certain um, qualifications before they go ahead. Um, one is I would recommend that they have a degree in a related field. So social work, psychology, psychiatry, Sometimes lawyers do these kinds of reports as well. Um, typically I would look for someone with a master's level degree or higher, but I know also some excellent practitioners who have bachelor's degrees. Um, generally, the more qualifications a person has, the more expensive it's gonna be. Um, and you wanna look for someone too who has training with kids. Uh, interviewing kids is very different from interviewing adults and um, I would recommend that you look for people who have either taken a course, um, for example, the Ontario Association for Family Mediation offers a course called Child Inclusive Mediation uh, Training, and that helps um, practitioners learn how to um, ask questions to kids in a way that fits their developmental ages and stages. Um, there's also courses on parenting assessments offered by the Association for Family and Conciliatory Courts, which are excellent. and there's a lot of private uh, trainers offering courses in this field as well. So look for someone who has that background. Um, look for someone who's experienced working with kids and who knows about uh, the difference between child psychology and adult psychology. Um, so for example, it's really important that the, um, the interviewer, the person doing the report knows that young children have a very poor sense of time. So they struggle to tell a linear story with a beginning, middle and end, and they often engage in magical thinking. So they may say something that, um, you know, makes sense in the time, but you're, you're not really understanding the context. Uh, just to give you a quick example, I had a kid uh, that I was working with in counseling tell his mom uh, a few weeks ago that um, he was bullied at school yesterday and he's in kindergarten and the mom you know called up the uh, principal of the school and said you know I'm furious he didn't tell me about this and uh, the principal said well no this incident happened months ago 
And we did talk to you about it at the time. And he's he's referring to that incident that happened months ago, but the kid couldn't work out in his mind whether it happened yesterday or a few months ago. So knowledge of child development is really important uh, for that. Um, I would also recommend you pick someone who's a professional uh, member of a regulatory body. So, you know, the Law Society of Ontario, College of Psychologists of Ontario, the Ontario College of Social Workers and Social Service Workers. Um, these regulatory bodies are designed to keep their members uh, accountable for their professional action, and they can be disciplined if they mess up or don't do a good job as an assessor. Um, and then finally, I would recommend you just do your homework, like uh, talk to the person who's being recommended, find out, you know, uh, what their experience is, have a conversation with them, see how you feel about them. And, uh, um, you know, it's really important to pick the right person because once the person's picked, you're kind of locked in. So do your, do your homework, do your due diligence and find out what their qualifications are. And, um, you know, sometimes it helps to get a bunch of different names and pick one from the list to see which one's the best. Great stuff. Let's run a poll because we know I love the polls. So <laughs> um, how much would a voice of the child report cost? And there's multi answers here. Uh, none if it's done through the OCL, 50-50, proportionate, depends on how many children there are in a range and then the judge decides. So we'll give everybody a moment to give us an answer to that. Really excellent questions coming in. Thank you so much, everybody. One that just came in online. How and why can the OCL refuse a case when ordered by a judge? I don't understand why it is an option for the OCL. Well, the, the judge requests it of the OCL. The OCL has limited resources, so they can't take on every case that's sent to them. You know, long, you know, a few years ago, there, we, you needed to establish if there was clinical issues before the OCL would get involved. And now voice of the child reports seem to be the flavor of the day, and they're much more common. Um, but I've got another, another question came in online. I want to try to see if we can get to it. And uh, either of you guys can take a crack at this one. Will interviewing the children really help a judge on custody and access issues? What training should judges receive before they interview children? I've got a great story about judges doing judicial interviews. If we have time, I'll get to it. But Golan, what do you think of this question? Well, the question whether it assists a judge in getting the, the uh, a views of a, of a child, I, I think, again, it, it depends. The, the answer is always the same. It depends. It depends on many factors. It depends on the ability to ascertain the truthfulness of what has been reported, uh, the way that would be given to that, you know, to that report, to the views of the child, um, understanding whether there was influence or not, uh, realizing a, you know, that what the child wants is not necessarily what he needs um, and not necessarily equipped with his best interest. So, so to say that it's automatically being accepted and being a, a valued and giving weight to the maximum uh, a, a, to the maximum extent possible, it's not. It would not be um, the correct answer. I think it, it really depends. It it, it definitely helps. A, I think uh, judges to understand, you know, who's behind, you know, the, the name on the paper, and they get to know more the dynamics. The the um, and what's influences uh, are out there 
to come up with what would be in the best interest of the child. So I definitely think uh, that, you know, in the right constellation and, and when there is really a clean report that can be uh, given a proper weight, it, it, it could be very helpful. And there's some due process issues as well, right? Are we going to do in the judge's office at the courthouse? Is the judge going to go to the school? What role does counsel play? You know, can the judge relay to the parents what the child says, or is that confidential? You know, so there's a lot of issues surrounding judges doing interviews uh, of children and their training. But let's see what our audience is thinking on this poll question. All right, so 63%, no cost if it's done through the OCL, that's right. I guess there should be, you, there could be some costs in sense of delay, right? It's procedurally, you need to get through a case conference, have the appoint, the request made, it might take a few months down the line. So it could cost you in terms of time, but finances is definitely more efficient. 50-50, proportionate, but equal there, depends how many children, we're gonna talk about that as well. Um, fairly evenly audience answers across the board here. So thank you everybody for submitting those. Private versus OCL judicial system. What do you think here, Jonathan? What are we talking about? Um, yeah, I, I think the, the OCL tends to have a narrower focus um, and they only interview the kids and they only uh, report on uh, the views and preferences of the children as the children um, uh, report them. Um, and um, I think OCL, um, Voice of the Child Reports, and other public agencies that offer that, like the Quartha Family Court Assessment Service in Peterborough or the London Family Court Clinic in London, um, tend to take a bit more time because they have an intake process. They usually have a wait list. Um, they're, they're usually a little bit more cost effective, particularly the OCL, but uh, but you, you might be waiting a long time. And with the OCL, of course, the delay might be that you get the, the, you get the referral to the OCL and then they say no, and then you're back to square one and you have to look for a private person or uh, look for um, one of these other public agencies to do the report for you. Or one, um, so, one parent sends in a form and the other parent doesn't. Right? Yeah, that happens a lot for sure. We actually have a question right on this point. Um, oh, perfect. How long normally does it take for an OCL to respond? What's your experience been? To respond to requests? Um, I don't make the referrals and I haven't worked for the OCL for quite some time. So I'm not really sure uh, what the process is um, currently. Do you, Dolan or Russell, have any experience with? I actually, I, from my experience at least, I find that it takes them a few weeks before they come back with an answer. Okay. Uh, on a recent case of mine, I actually had to ask for, to appeal it in order to uh, have them reconsider in a very high conflict matter that they uh, decided to, uh, you know, to not take. And it sometimes, like, like the audience were, were questioning how come they refuse an appointment uh, I was amazed by that refusal of a very high conflict that um, really called for it. And then uh, it, it came back as a refusal, um, but eventually it was sorted out and they actually uh, picked it up. And I think it is, uh, it was and it's still in the process of, of being very useful uh, to obtain the, uh, the voice of the child in that matter. So yeah, a few weeks is, is at a minimum that I find 
uh, before they come back with the yay or nay. And um, after that, there's a whole process of whether you're asking for reconsideration. I saw judges that that asking more than once and more than twice. Yeah. yeah. To, to pretty, pretty please. Yeah, yeah. Really, <laughs> like, like really appealing to them. Please take, I mean, what yeah. else can I say? I mean, yeah. But that's, yeah. Uh, that's the uh, sad part. But if they deny, uh, you know, if they deny the request at the OCL level, you can still arrange for a private, private assessment, yeah. right? Um, if you have assessors in your community, and lots of them are, are really, uh, really accommodating, I find. Sorry, did you want to wrap up this point? I kind of cut you off there, Jonathan. Yeah, just to say that if you, if you wanted to go with a private person, um, you're probably going to uh, have a little bit of a faster process, but it really depends on the practitioner. Some people are super busy and you might have to wait a few months uh, to get on their roster. Um, and um, so th there are advantages and disadvantages of, of either one. Okay, thank you for that. Well, we haven't done a poll for a few minutes, so let's get back at it. <laughs> what is the effect of the voice of the child report? And you have a couple of options here. It determines parenting each time for each parent. Parenting time uh, is for information purposes only. It provides the judge with another aspect for determining parenting and the court or the court must accept the report as it comes in. So we'll give everybody a moment to um, respond to that. See if we can throw in a couple quick questions. Um, how many reports can a child have during a case? Um, so I guess really, can it be updated? Do you get a fresh report later on? What's your experience been, Jonathan? Um, generally, um, no, um, but I have had some experience recently in uh, just the, the late winter this year where I um, prepared a Voice of the Child report um, for court, and there were still a couple of more questions that hadn't been answered. Um, so they asked me to, to re-interview the child and uh, answer those specific questions, which I did. So sometimes they'll ask you to come back with a little bit more information, but usually, um, you know, judges want to avoid ordering too many of these. And when an assessment or a voice of the child is out in, in the court, uh, documents, they don't want to keep going back and reevaluating every issue, uh, or sorry, re having a new assessment or voice of the child report every time a new issue comes up, because it just gets too, uh, too demanding for the family, too expensive, and it really delays the process. Right. And it can be stressful for the child too. Yeah. Let's get uh, our poll answers up here, our results, and I'm going to do a quick question that came in ahead of time. Um, if the judge orders to orders complete an OCL application, the opposing party does not fill it out. What consequences may follow um, if the OCL doesn't get involved because somebody didn't fill out the form? My view is, if you're not filling out the form and participating, it's going to go very badly for you, and the the judge will likely uh, not consider um, your position with respect to parenting because you're not complying with the court order. Uh, so that would be my take on this. Let's see what our poll results are. Provides the judge with another aspect for determining the parenting and best interest of the child, 97%. Clear, clear majority on that one. 
Thank you everybody for sending in um, your answers. So the how, what are we looking at, Jonathan? How do we go away? What were the nuts and bolts of putting one of these uh, voice of the child reports together? Yeah, great question. Um, and, and I'll go back to uh, Golan's answer. It, it depends. Um, different practitioners have different uh, processes that they follow. Um, for me in particular, what I usually do is I'll interview each uh, parent once to find out, you know, what are the questions that, uh, that they're wanting answered um, and get the parent's perspective on those issues. Um, that Parent interview can also be helpful to see if the children have been influenced by the parents. So, for example, if the parent says, I want a 5522 schedule with exchanges at 4:30 p.m., and then a seven-year-old comes, you know, when I interview them, says the exact same schedule. Maybe I'm thinking there's some parental influence there. I want my dad to have 41% parents. <laughs> That's a good one. <laughs> How's yeah. a seven-year-old come up with that, right? Exactly. Um, and then I would, <clears throat> excuse me, I would interview the kids each twice at a minimum, once when they're with the one parent and once where, when they're with the other parent. That way you can gauge, like, does their opinion change dramatically depending on who the parent they're with? Um, and that also can be a sign of parental influence. Um, so it's good, it's good to um, have that balance as well, where um, you're not only seeing the child being brought in by one parent. Um, sometimes, it, you know, depending on the case, I'll also look at um, things like report cards, or uh, sometimes kids will have psychological assessments that will kind of um, help me understand their developmental level, or if they have any disabilities like ADHD or autism, those kinds of things. And it will help inform me how to um, set up the interview and, and speak with the child. Um, and then generally after that, um, you would be uh, um, writing up a report or uh, sometimes I'll host a disclosure meeting at the request of the parties where I meet with them and their lawyers and just discuss the findings of my interviews and, and try to help the parents come to a settlement uh, during that meeting. We're getting lots of questions about age and we've got a poll coming up. So just hang on to those questions. We're gonna get to them. Uh, but let's go back down to some basics here. We've got a question. What's the difference between an OCL report and voice of the child report? Is one better than the other? Jonathan? Pretty much the same thing. Um, yeah, it's pretty much the same thing. I wouldn't say one's better. I think the OCL has stricter guidelines as to how they conduct the process. Whereas when you when you go with a private practitioner, they'll you'll you'll see a little bit more variety, but there are some standards that you'll always see or always should see. If you don't, you should raise some questions about that. But the, the main one is interviewing the children twice, once when they're with their mom and once when they're with their dad, or you know, depending on the parents, it could be if there's two, two moms or two dads. You wanna make sure you're interviewing the kids once at each home um, or once when they're at each home. And being delivered, I guess if you're doing it for the court, you do a written report. Sometimes parents like a verbal report. They want to keep the expense down. Uh, yeah, what's, exactly. What's your experience and how the report's delivered, Jonathan? Um, yeah, most people want a written report and a verbal report, so I'll do both. Um, and like I said, the, the verbal report's a great opportunity for us all to sit down and try to work out 
uh, a resolution to um, the dispute and, and come up with a plan that works best for the kids. And I, you know, I've seen a lot of parents really surprised with what they're hearing yeah. from children and, and, and dramatically change their position based on that. And that's a real testament to, you know, parents wanting what's best for the kids and maybe not knowing how to get it. Because what, what often happens, you get this dynamic where child A will tell parent A what they want to hear. And then when they're with parent B, they'll say what parent B, what they think parent B wants to hear. So both parents come into this process feeling very empowered that I know what my child wants because that's what they've been told. But when you get a new, neutral point of view, sometimes you get a different perspective and uh, the, the child's not trying to uh, influence you or make you happy so you can get that neutral point of view that can be really helpful. And when you do an oral meeting, those could be tough meetings, right? Like it could be a punch be in the gut for a parent. You yeah. know, little Johnny doesn't oh, yeah. want to see mommy or daddy. It's like, wow, yeah. <laughs> that hurts, right? When they yeah, hear exactly. it for the first time from a neutral party, not a member who's participating in the litigation. Yeah. So, you know, in, in the, when I do uh, child inclusive mediation, for example, I do a lot of prep with the parents before I start interviewing the children, just helping them understand, you know, um, that this, it may be hard for you to hear this information. And it's really important that, um, you know, you're prepared to hear whatever the child has to say, even if it doesn't align with what you're thinking right now. Right. So that pre preparation can be helpful. My experience, you know, most child focused parents accept the view and change their stance and settle the case fairly quickly after we get these reports in. Thank you, John, Jonathan. So let's go to weight and treatment by counsel, part parents and judges. So how much weight do we give these reports, Colin? Well, that goes back to my uh, standard uh, answer. It depends. <laughs> it's Come on, we're, we've well, got to well, answer some questions here. <laughs> where's your, where's your uh, PowerPoint page that says it depends? Yeah, that's what's missing. Well, it's all You've over got the, the magic uh, eight ball. The right? This is the answer <laughs> to your legal it's, question it's today. One, it's the first course you take in law school. It's one on one. It's depend. The answer is it depends. And uh, in this in this context, really, uh, we, we spoke about it. We already touched that area of the uh, maturity level, the uh, idea of uh, once you did the screening, whether there were influence one way or another. Speaking of which, you guys have mentioned some uh, influences. I had a kid that was a, being interviewed wearing number one dad while he was interviewed. I thought that that was uh, uh, something that the, uh, the reporter was actually found it necessary to report on, his, on the uh, voice of the child report, where normally they just tell you what the child said, but not what he was wearing. Um, but that was a, a clue, I guess, and uh, nuances that... Uh, the judge need to uh, to take in and, and consider, and uh, like I said, so it's it's the, the treatment by by parents could be from accepting it, like like Ross and, and Jonathan just mentioned that it, it it comes down to they accept what they heard and they they go by it and they they formulate the the, the plan in accordance with that uh, views and wishes of the child and that resolve the matter. Um, counsel can be um, uh, providing their a, assistance in the analysis of how they see the report uh, coming across, whether it, you know, whether it has the 
um, the ring of truth to it, that it, it actually came across as clean and there's no influences and, and advo advocate uh, one way or another if the uh, weight of the report has to be given you know, greater weight or, or lesser weight. Judges, of course, will do the, uh, the overall assessment and decide whether they should really go with the, you know, with the views and the preferences uh, of a child. Again, at the, at the end of the day is, is how, a, you know, firstly, what is the issue that is in dispute here and how a significant and, and uh, ascertainable that view comes out from the, from the child's perspective. So again, at the end of the day, it depends. I've got a great case we're going to talk about at the end that goes directly to weight, so stay tuned. Uh, so next we're going to talk about screening, um, but before we do that, I got there's a question that came in I want to give Jonathan a chance to uh, answer. How do you handle staged interviews in a parent's home? Often, too, too, All too often, craft time, gay time, game time is planned out. We know this isn't reality. How do you come up with a perspective in these situations? It does seem kind of artificial, right? I'm going to go, we're going to do craft time and some strangers watching us interact. Like that's got to be a lot of stress on the parents to go through that. Yeah, yeah. So I, uh, different people handle this differently. I know up in Peterborough, the Courts of Family Court Assessment, they actually have people come into a, a playroom that has a one-way mirror and a microphone. So it's, it's even a little bit more intimidating for our families in that situation. Um, so, you know, different people handle it differently. For me, I like to uh, allow things to unfold a little bit more naturally. And, and um, now keep in mind that with staged interviews and, and visiting the home, you're more talking about full parenting assessments. And I wouldn't necessarily do that for a voice of the child. Usually for Wait, a voice of the child, today, they're today. coming into my office and... Uh, I'm seeing them alone um, or on a rare occasion with their sibling. So thank you for that. Let's talk about screening. What do you do, Jonathan? So um, I think the, the sort of background question of this is about, you know, what happens if one parent is trying to um, influence the child's uh, comments in the Voice of the Child report. Now, if there's severe parent-child contact problems, um, like one parent one parent is being rejected by one or more of the children, I, I wouldn't necessarily recommend uh, voice to the child report as a good option. I would suggest you go a little bit deeper and get a full Section 30 assessment because that will give the assessor more opportunities to look into parental influence and really dig deep into the uh, reasons why the parent's being rejected by that child. And, and usually things are pretty complicated. Usually parents were, um, parents will say, well, it's the other, other parent doing it, but almost always, not, not 100% of the time, but almost always, it's, it's a little bit more complicated than that. There's some complicated dynamics going on there. So uh, we sort of briefly mentioned a couple of things that we look for. If, if a child is saying the exact same thing a parent is saying, that's pretty good uh, indication, especially if they're suggesting things that are beyond their developmental level to understand. So if a, if a child says, you know, I, I wanna spend about equal time with my mom and dad, that's cool, but if, if they're saying a specific schedule, well, I wanna see my dads on Wednesdays and Thursdays and every other Friday from 4.30 till 
you know, 2.30 on Sunday, that's probably a good example of, of a parental influence. Not always, but, you know, particularly with a younger child. Um, older children, teenagers are, are more uh, able to understand schedules and they may want to throw in other things like their work schedule or their sports schedule. So you just want to assess the level of um, their development and, and whether their comments fit that level of development. Um, it's also helpful, like I said, to interview the child as the child's parents first, obviously separately, because um, then you get an idea of what the parents' opinions are on the subjects that you're talking to kids about, and that will give you a better opportunity to um, assess parental influence. Ultimately, it's not a perfect process. There's no like machine I can stick on the kids' heads to know exactly how much influence they've experienced. And also um, keep in mind, um, child's uh, memory is very malleable and very easily influenced by children even, or by their parents, even by just suggesting things. Right. So it is definitely something to look out for. Thank you for that. Let's go into our final poll question of the day. Uh, and we're getting lots of questions on this question uh, throughout the chat. So thank you everybody for sending in your questions. Uh, what age should the court have to consider the voice of the child? 0 to 5, 6 to 12, 12 to 15, 16 plus, all of the above, none of the above, or when they start looking after their parents. So we'll give everybody a moment to uh, put your answers in. Thank you for participating in the polls today. A lot of the information we're providing you today is going to be sent to you in a follow-up email with show notes. So you get links to some of the cases and the resources that we're talking about here today. So thank you again for attending. Let's see what our audience thinks. All right, so all of the above. That's a pretty good answer, 52%. 12 to 15, 22%, 6 to 12, 19%. Uh, zero for zero to five, well, obviously not much of a voice there and none of the above. So thank you everyone for uh, participating in that poll. The child's right to counsel. We got, need to be mindful of this, right, Colin? Absolutely. Firstly, uh, you know, the, the, the right to be heard is, is like we said, it, it entrenched by the convention uh, that was ratified. We also, we spoke about the Children Law Reform Act, specifically Section 24, a, that provides for a, obtaining the views and, and preferences. A child has the right to counsel. And normally, you know, if we do it by way of uh, asking for the appointment of the Office of the Children's Lawyer, that is one option. There's nothing to prevent a, a child to, to hire a private one, so his parents are a, obviously retaining one, uh, or even through legal aid. Uh, normally you see that happens a, in the, under the protection you know, protection cases, when you have the child that has his own lawyer. Um, similarly, like I said, it could be done privately through legal aid or a, through the appointment of the Office of the Children's Lawyer. So that, you know, that, that is, a, it's there, it's available. I, I did not see a situation where judges were a, suggesting that a, child, child, that a child's lawyer should not be heard if he has you know, obviously they have standing and they should be able to, uh, to speak up on behalf of, of their client, especially if this client is affected by any decision that, that 
is going to be made. If it's not a relevant case for the child, then obviously it may not be uh, obtained, but in terms of a right to counsel, it's obviously there. All right. We've had some questions come in on this next topic, challenging a voice of the child report. All right, so we got a report, we don't like it, or our client doesn't like it and instructs us to uh, press on. How do we challenge these reports, Colin? Well, so there's basically uh, two major routes that you go about challenging the report. The first one is you asking to cross-examine the a reporter, the person that was conducting the interview. Um, that becomes part of the evidence of the way to be given to the report, right? I mean, once you have the um, the transcript of the uh, cross-examination, that is an added facet to uh, the overall assessment of how the report was conducted, whether the questioning was guided, whether there was a lack of uh, um, <clears throat> uh, awareness to parental influence of any kind and so forth. That by itself is, uh, you know, is a challenge, but the, the other option is that you bring your submissions before a judge during trial as to what weight should be given to the report if you did not have the, the chance of cross-examining the, the reporter. So that's another option of uh, a challenging the report. And, um, you know, at the end of the day, even, even the, the cross-examination itself can assist you in uh, making the best submissions to challenge the report when the time comes uh, to, you know, to make your, your point about what weight should be given to, to any uh, child, you know, child report. Can I make a quick suggestion too? Mm -hmm. One thing that uh, people, uh, lawyers have been starting to use me for is to uh, critique these reports as well. Right. And um, if my critique can't be taken to court, um, the judge will usually reject that, but I can, uh, or someone like me can give advice to the lawyer saying, well, it looks a little weak on this, or they didn't do that, uh, mm -hmm. and give the lawyer some suggestions on questions to ask in cross-examination. So it's a little yeah. tip there. That's a great tip for preparation. It'd just be like ch challenging any expert, right? You look at the assumptions, the questions they ask, the documents they reviewed the witnesses they talked to or the parents that they talked to and how many times. Yeah. Uh, I guess if the one, if the, if the author of the report only talked talk to one parent, not the other. Yeah, that's a good example. An issue yeah. for cross-examination as well. So very important, especially if your client disagrees with the voice of the child report to consider uh, what other evidence or what questions you wanna ask the person who prepared the report. All yeah, right. Generally so the court won't accept uh, uh, a um, critique? Uh, a, a, well, not even just a critique, but if you go and get your own assessment separate from that uh, to try to challenge the first assessment or voice of the child, the court will usually reject that. Right. Good to know. Um, all right. So let's talk a little bit about some case law, and then we're going to get into some more Q&A. Uh, but let's just, before we get into the case law, there was uh, a question that came in ahead of time. Bringing a child into conflict can have a negative impact on children, psychologically speaking. In what circumstances do you think it's inevitable to get input from the children for a voice of the child? And when can it be avoided? Jonathan, what do you think of that question? 
So there's actually a really good um, article written by Dr. Rachel Birnbaum and Dr. Uh, Nick Bala, who are kind of gurus in this field of uh, divorce and separation. And they wrote an article uh, about five years ago, I think in 2017, maybe. Um, and they have done some research that shows that children generally benefit from uh, their voice being heard in court. The children feel better about whatever uh, plan gets put in place after that if, if their views and preferences have been, um, uh, have been gotten and heard by the court. Um, so I would say on, on balance, it's generally a positive experience for children. Uh, it can be stressful, but it's a lot less stressful than the conflict between the parents. And if right. you can resolve that, uh, having a couple of interviews with a person like myself is a lot less stressful. And I do my best, and I'm sure other practitioners do as well, to make the kids feel comfortable. I weave in serious questions about parental conflict with also fun questions like, what do you like to eat? What are your favorite movies? What kind of video games do you like to play? I, I like to joke a lot and make them laugh so that when they leave the uh, interview, they're not feeling like, oh my God, that was a horrible experience. I feel really stressed, but they feel like, yeah, I think that really, that person really understood me and I'm, I'm happy that I participated in that. Um, so as, as practitioners, we wanna do no harm. So if we sense that the child is super anxious or doesn't wanna to talk to us or, um, you know, that we're going to do harm by um, engaging them in that process, we'll maybe uh, think twice about it. With respect to anxious children, right, um, how do you approach that when it's clearly the child's stressed by the whole process? Yeah, I, I deal with anxious people, um, both children and adults, all the time. So again, you want to find someone who has a lot of experience working with uh, people who struggle with anxiety. And again, I, I start light to help them feel comfortable. I ask them questions about school and their pets and their favorite toys and what their stuffy's name is and, and what they do for summer, what they dressed up for as Halloween. You know, I, I ask them about, you know, Christmas, what happens when when Santa visits your house um, or, or other important holidays. So, um, you know, you, you do your best to try to um, engage them in a conversation. It's not use, you know, as a, as a, like a police officer investigating a crime, you're, you're engaging them in a happy uh, conversation that, you know, does have some more serious and stressful questions, but uh, also has some fun and, and lighter questions. So. I generally find that works well for kids. Try to build a rapport. Great tip. The Go rapport in. is so important. What What does a court do? One parent stands up, says, "I want a voice of the child." Report. The other parent doesn't. There's no agreement. How's the so? It's not on consent. What do you often see the court doing? Well, obviously, uh, and that actually falls into one of the cases that is going to be reported there. All right, well, let's let's get on to the cases. Good lead, good lead in. Good lead in, yes. Uh, I, I just I just wanted to comment uh, before that on, on Jonathan's uh, um, comments. Uh, the, the premise that we're working on here on, in obtaining the voice of the child report has to be based on the child wanting to give his voice and, and, and you know, to be heard. We, we forgetting that it's really the child's consent, it's his right to be heard, and without his consent to be interviewed, you will not be achieving, a, you know, the goals. I mean, a prompting a child to a, to speak up and 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 
you know, says, say his mind or whatever is on his mind. I guess, again, depending on the ages, at some, at some ages, they don't really want to say anything. At other ages, you need to, you need to uh, prompt them to, uh, to say some more. And, and uh, some of them would be more than willing and uh, happy to uh, voice their opinion. Um, on the case, though, you can see that one of the things that I thought was kind of representative of what happens when one parent wants a, a report, the other doesn't, um, <clears throat> because one thing that he knows what the views of the child is and he can get that supported with the views of the child report and that can bluster his, his position. And then uh, the, the judge in this case uh, that, that you see reported uh, before, I think it was uh, a, yes, the Justice Kitely on uh, Ganda and Kanepa. So you can see there that in this case, the judge says, well, it's a 15 year old and normally we should be able to, you know, it should be assisting the court to know what, um, you know, what the child preferences are. But in this case, it found that it was not, it was not going to be ascertainable. So that actually comes from the, from the second case, not from this one. This one was actually talking about a, <clears throat> why the, the uh, report should be assisting, um, even especially in the cases where a, parents are in agreement. When there's no agreement, one can bring a motion and, and, and a judge will decide whether a voice of the child report is, uh, is helpful or not. And that's where you come. If you, if you flip over to the next case, you will see a situation where a motion was brought in and the 15 year old uh, child was not, was very, um, was fed up with all the questions. That's the reason the OCL, the OCL has been uh, involved in the case for a long time and, and, and the uh, judge decided that is not going to let this uh, continue, and therefore a declined the uh, the um, report. So that shows you that you know you can you know you can bring a motion to the to the court, a if especially if a child wants to uh, a, provide his opinion, it's probably going to have more weight. But if it's going to just uh, inflame the situation or, or not be of assistance, I don't see a judges uh, simply. Uh, ordering this uh, just just because uh, the right is there. The right is there, but it's eventually uh, the consideration for a judge to decide if it's going to be helpful for the process or whether it's just going to be uh, distracting from it or causing more harm. Let's go to the first slide, uh, Staff. I think it was SL um, with the case in it. One more. Yeah, so... I really like um, this quote. I think it kind of summarizes really the last hour of our discussion in one paragraph, if that's possible. In many cases, uh, family court judges often make determinations as to how much weight to be attributed to a child's stated preferences based on a lot of predictable factors, age, maturity, clarity, context, consistency, potential alienation or influence the strengths of those views and thinking and the thinking behind it. I think that neatly summarizes, you know, wh what use you can make of these voice of the child reports in terms of doing this analysis and trying to put it into context. We all have very mature 12 year olds and very immature 15 year olds, every child's different. So I think that's a good way to anchor this program. Our host is back, welcome back Steph.
We may or may not have time for one question, a couple questions, probably maybe just one. All right, so just before we get into that question, I just wanna let everyone know that a survey will be popping up in your browser following the webinar. So please, if you have the time, we welcome and appreciate any feedback that you have from today's session so we can take it into consideration as we continue to grow our virtual event series. Uh, one of those questions will be to share your thoughts on topics that you would like to see our team discuss in the future. So please let us know your ideas. And as a sign of our appreciation, we will be providing a complimentary advanced e-copy of Russell's new book on Zoom divorce. So let's get into some Q&A. Let's see what we have here. Uh, Russ, do you have any that, that you'd like to discuss? Yeah, I've been kind of picking away at these. Um, let's wrap up with this one. What is the weight, now that we've gone through all this, that you think a judge will give a uh, private voice of the child report as to a report done through the OCL? Jonathan, thoughts? In my experience, they, they give them both uh, a lot of weight. Um, you know, they don't necessarily go uh, make an order exactly what the children say and, and what their views and preferences are, but um, it really helps the judge um, frame the case and understand what might be in the best interest of the child, whether it comes from the OCL or a private practitioner. Great stuff. Okay, let's bring the train into the station, Steph. All right. Thank you, everybody, for joining us. And thank you again to our panelists. Thank you, Steph. You did a fantastic job. Always Thanks, always everyone. Thank really you. appreciate your time, Golan. Fantastic, as always. Thank you, guys, for having us. And uh, it was a pleasure being with you here. It was a lot of fun. Good afternoon, everyone.